0: We're in this series talking about the sacred calling of work and today I want us to talk about uh, work as witness, living as a witness for Christ in the world and in your work, whether that is paid work or unpaid work. And I don't know if this just happened to you, but for some of us, when we consider just the phrase, being a witness, There's some anxiety kind of tense inside, like, oh, where's she going to go with this? I'm getting a kink in my neck, like I'm a little nervous about this topic um, because some negative stereotypes have surrounded this idea of being a witness for Christ in the world and at work. Um, Maybe for some of you, it's just simply a matter of, I wouldn't know what to say. Or I don't know enough. I might say something wrong. But maybe most of all is this. I don't want to be that person. Like, I don't want to be that Christian. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't want to be the overzealous person who, like, sets out to convert their pagan colleagues or something. Um, I don't want to be Mandy Moore's character in the movie Saved. Have you seen this movie? It's an old one. But if you have not seen it, you don't need to see it. I'll just play a clip for you right now, and you'll get the big idea of what I'm talking about. This is Mandy Moore in uh, the movie Saved.
1: Oh, good one. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Hey, ladies. Sorry. Uh, you got a second?
1: Yeah. Listen, I'm
0: concerned about Mary. Something's going on.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: Well... She's part of your posse, and I think that you can help her. I'm going to need you to be a warrior out there on the front lines for Jesus.
2: You mean like shoot her?
0: <laughs> no, no, no. I was, I was uh, thinking of something a little less gangster. I need someone who's spiritually armed to help guide her back to her faith, the love and care that only Jesus can supply. You down with that?
1: Yeah, I'm down with that.
0: She's pretty vulnerable right now, so I'm going to need you to be extra gentle. Hey, hey, hey. In the name of Jesus Christ, oh, I command you, save the body of this are performing an exercise yes. Get off me! Hey, Terry, you've got to get rid of the evil in you. It's God's will. God's will. Christ died for your sins! Okay, wait a second. So are you not going to accept our intervention here? Kidnapping? No, You are backsliding into the flames of hell. You've become a magnet for sin. We've all witnessed it. Yes. Sure. Veronica, acting all pure. What about last spring break at the Promise Makers' Rally, huh? Oh, my God, you are making accusations as we're trying to save your soul. Mary, turn away from Satan. Jesus, he loves you. You don't know first thing about love. I am filled with Christ's love. God! You are just jealous of my success in the Lord. This is not a weapon. You idiot. Oh, <laughs> funny but brutal. Oh, uh, you don't want to be that person. Gandhi one time said these words, I like your Christ. I do not like. Your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. As we talk about this idea of witness, sometimes what we need to do is separate it from a misunderstanding of what we've come to create as mission, being on mission for God, a misunderstanding of that. So, being on mission for God has, in some unfortunate scenarios, turned into Mandy Moore's character in the movie Saved. But actually, when Jesus left this earth, he left a ragtag group of people, and his instructions to them were, you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Can you see the difference between a misunderstanding of mission being on mission for God versus being a witness. Being on mission sometimes turns into, we create a bubble of products and services and thoughts and ideas uh, that we leave to go get people and convert them and bring them back into a bubble. Witness, that's obviously a misunderstanding of mission. Witness, on the other hand, is you and I living in the kingdom of God by the values of the kingdom of God while remaining in the kingdom of this world. You will be my witnesses. Your life will give witness to, will give evidence of, will give testimony to the fact that you live by a different kingdom, a kingdom not of this world. So we're in this series called Monday Morning Faith, and uh, today to look at this idea of what does it mean to be a witness in the world, a witness in your work, uh, Monday morning, I want us to look at a passage in the Bible that tells the story of Jesus' interaction with a Samaritan woman. Um, And in order to do this, I am actually going to just ask, I did not plan this ahead, for two volunteers who would be comfortable coming up here and reading the scripture from The screens with me. Um, I will be the narrator. I need one person, um, preferably a man, um, to come on up. Thank you so much um, to play the voice of Jesus. And then I need a woman, preferably a woman, to play the voice of the Samaritan woman in the story. Any women willing to come on up? Thank you. Okay, so just so you know who is who, I've made some signs. So I'm gonna be the narrator. That's me. Okay, don't get a big head about this, but you're going to be Jesus (laughs) for you, and uh, you will be the Samaritan woman in the story. Thank you. All right. So we're going to read this passage, and then we'll talk a little bit about how this applies to the conversation of witness in the world. Also, as we read this, uh, notice how Jesus turns the assumptions of the time upside down. Uh, The unnamed Samaritan woman in the story um, should be the last person, the last person to have access to God. But Jesus does not treat her that way. Uh, So let's take a look at the story. This translation that we're reading from is called The Voice. And it's a translation of the Bible where they kind of break out the voices. And it literally says like Jesus and then what he says and then woman and what she says. So it's kind of like a reader's theater. So we're going to do it that way. All right. John. Chapter 4, 1 through 26. The picture was becoming clear to the Pharisees that Jesus had gained a following much larger than that of John the Baptist, the wandering prophet. Now he could see that the Pharisees were beginning to plot against him. This was because his disciples were busy ritually cleansing many new disciples through baptism. He chose to leave Judea, where most Pharisees lived, and return to a safer location in Galilee. This was a trip that would take them through Samaria. Now, for Jews in Israel, Samaria is a place to be avoided. Before Solomon's death a thousand years earlier, the regions of Samaria and Judea were part of a united Israel. After the rebellion that divided the kingdom, Samaria became a hotbed for idol worship. And so the northern kings had made alliances that corrupted the people by introducing foreign customs and strange gods. They even had the nerve to build a temple to the true God on Mount Gerizim to rival the one that was in Jerusalem. By the time the 12 are traveling with Jesus, it has long been evident that the Samaritans have lost their way. By marrying outsiders, they had polluted the land um, Israel's Jews considered them, the Samaritans, considered them to be half-breeds, mongrels. And the Jews now uh, know to watch out for them or else be bitten by temptation. This is the thinking. So in a small Samaritan town known as Sychar, Jesus and his entourage stopped to rest at the historic well that Jacob gave his son Joseph. It was about noon when Jesus found a spot to sit close to the well while the disciples ventured off to find provisions. From his vantage point, from Jesus' vantage point, he watched as a Samaritan woman approached to draw some water, and unexpectedly, he spoke to her.
3: Would you draw water out and give me a drink?
1: I can't believe that you, a Jew, would associate with me, a Samaritan woman, much less... Ask me to give you a drink.
0: Jews, you see, have no dealings with Samaritans. Also, a man never approaches a woman like this in public. Jesus is breaking accepted social barriers with this confrontation.
3: You don't know the gift of God or who is asking you for a drink of this water from Jacob's well. Because if you did, you would have asked him for something greater and he would have given you the living water.
1: Sir, you sit by this deep well, a thirsty man, without a bucket in sight. Where does this living water come from? Are you claiming superiority to our father Jacob, who labored long and hard to dig and maintain this well so that he could share clean water with his sons, grandchildren, and cattle?
3: Drink this water, and your thirst is quenched only for a moment. You must return to this well again and again. I offer water that will become a wellspring within you that gives life through eternity. You will never be thirsty again.
1: Please, sir, give me some of this water so I'll never be thirsty and never again have to make a trip to this well.
3: Then bring your husband to me.
1: I do not have a husband.
3: Technically, you are telling the truth. But you have had five husbands and are currently living with a man you are not married to.
1: Sir, it's obvious to me that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped here on this mountain, but your people say that Jerusalem is the only place for all to worship. Which is it?
3: Woman, I tell you that neither is so. Believe this, a new day is coming. In fact, it's already here, when the importance will not be placed on the time and place of worship, but on the truthful hearts of worshipers. You worship what you don't know, while we worship what we do know. For God's salvation is coming through the Jews. The Father is Spirit, and He is seeking followers, whose worship is sourced in truth and deep spiritual as well, and deeply spiritual as well. Regardless of whether you are in Jerusalem or on this mountain, if you do not seek the Father, then you do not worship.
1: These mysteries will be made clear by He who is promised, the Anointed One.
3: The Anointed One is speaking to you. I am the one you have been looking for.
0: Thank you both. Give it up for these two. Thank you so much. I cannot get this off my earrings, so I'm just going to go with it. I did it. Thank you. So here's the deal with the, uh, the, that story. Uh, this unnamed Samaritan woman should be the last person to have access to God. That was how the Jews thought of Samaritans. That was the cultural label and expectation. She should be the last person to have access to God. Yet, Jesus does not treat her that way he treats her as an individual with dignity and with respect and he meets her where she is she should have been the last person to have access to god and yet jesus doesn't approach her that way now it's interesting cuz there's other stories in the bible where jesus approaches people and it's kind of the flip is true. So, for example, in Mark 10, we read there's this, rich, uh, there's this rich man. He has many possessions. He seems to be following all the religious rules. He knows all the right answers, religiously speaking. So he should be the one to be most receptive to Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? The flip side was the story we just read. She should have been the one to be least receptive to Jesus. And this rich man who knows all the right answers ought to be the most, we would think, receptive to Jesus. But when Jesus says to that man, give away your possessions, come follow me, he can't do it. And the man walks away from Jesus. See, what we see when we look at the stories of Christ in the Bible is that Jesus interacts with every person in exactly the right way. God meets everyone right where they are and gives them just what they need to hear. And in these two different stories, Jesus is offering the specific good news that these two individuals need to hear. Um, but, but only one of them, only one of them actually hears it as good news and responds and it is not the one that you would expect to respond positively to Christ. So what we see is Jesus just turns the religious and cultural expectations upside down. And this, I think this is so applicable in our lives. It is one of the things I love about Jesus. It's one of the reasons I want you and I to love the Bible, to love the stories in the ancient scriptures, to think theologically. Because we read them and we go, oh, Jesus is totally acting counterculturally. And it's so applicable because today, in our day and age, where we find ourselves, there are religi- religious cultural expectations here too. There is often an American Christian way of thinking in the world that may or may not, sometimes is absolutely not, in line with the teachings and life of Christ. So that's exactly why I don't want you to be a part of Platt Park and be a follower of me or a follower of Tim or Charlie or Susan or anybody on this staff. I I do not want for you and I to be disciples of like Tim Keller or Jen Hatmaker or Thomas Merton or Teresa of Avila or Andy Stanley or Glenn and Melton Doyle or I want you and I to instead be apprentices of Jesus. So an apprentice is someone who learns from the master who is with the master learning the way of life from the master. Jesus often is doing the exact opposite of what would have been expected. And to follow him means to sometimes do that as well. So just to break it down super practically... We're in this series, Monday Morning Faith. We're talking about the sacred calling of work. What does it really look like to be a witness in the world and in your work? What does that look like practically? Four simple principles I think we can live by. One is just this, do good work. Do good work. Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, and give thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do. That's what the scriptures say. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father. Another way of saying this would be this. Uh, Anything that you do Like how you do anything at all, how you do anything, is really how you do everything. So here's what I mean. Think about this as you walk into your week tomorrow. How you do anything is how you do everything. So you start making your coffee tomorrow morning. How you do anything, whatever you do, how you make your coffee, how you pack your kids' lunches, how you sit in the meeting led by someone else, how you lead the meeting for other people, how you build that website, how you take care of your car, how you do anything is how you do everything. Why? Because when I go to make coffee in the morning, if I am hurried, if I am distracted, as I often am, if I am resentful, it's just this little picture How I do that is a picture, kind of how I do everything. Do I do everything with that hurry in my spirit, with that resentment inside me? Whatever you do, speech, action, Paul would say do it all to the Lord and give thanks. How you make your coffee. This is why when we're talking about work, it's paid or unpaid work. It's everything we do. We, number one, do good work. We represent the goodness of God by being a good worker because your witness doesn't mean much if your normal actions aren't consistent with your words. Uh, Jim Howey, who's the director of business development at Blender Products here in Denver, says this. He says, operating a business unto the Lord is about producing a quality product or service Treating people well and stewarding the process. That's it. Being a Christian in business isn't about tricking your employees into hearing the gospel. Sorry, Mandy Moore. It's not about being a donor to nonprofits. It's not about making as much money now so we can retire and serve on ministry boards. Operating a business under the Lord is about producing a quality product. Or service, treating people well, stewarding the process. So number one, do good work. Number two, recognize everyone is on a spiritual journey. Don't assume you are bringing God to them. Assume God is already at work in the lives of people around you. We are all spiritual beings. We are all made in the image of God. So everyone you encounter already has received some measure of grace. Expect that. Look for that. Be on the lookout for that. And humbly assume that God can transform you through your coworker just as much as God can transform your coworker through you, because everyone is on a spiritual journey. And then third, be prayerful. Be ready. Pray for the people that you work with. Pray for the benefit of your supervisor and the people you supervise. 1 Peter 3 says, regard Christ as holy in your hearts. Whenever anyone asks you to speak of your hope, be ready to defend it. Yet do this with respectful humility, maintaining a good conscience. Pray for the benefit of the people you interact with. Pray for and expect that there will be opportunities to share your life in Christ with them. Expect that. Watch for that. And trust that your exact knowledge, your exact place on the journey is exactly what you share with the people as those opportunities arise in your life and in your world. It's exactly what's needed in that moment. God's providing the opportunity for you to be where you are with the people you are at today. And He knows your strengths and He knows your limitations. So don't talk yourself into, I don't know enough. You know exactly enough for that moment where God has placed you. And then lastly, I think we can think like a farmer, meaning we sow, we pl- you know we sow seeds, we till the soil, we wait for the harvest. Living a life of witness is not like a one-time deal; it's a slow, gradual process of conversations and building of relationships. There's a famous quote some of you might recognize. Um, It's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, and it is this, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Now, it's interesting, St. Francis never actually said that. That's what we always say he said. What he actually said was this, it is no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. So how you do anything is how you do everything. How you walk is your witness. The way we work, the way we love, ultimately the way we live, this is our witness in the world. This is our witness at work. It's been very fun each week of this series. We have invited someone from the Platt Park Church community to come share a bit about their life and work and faith and how those intersect. And um, I'm excited for you to hear from Connie Oswald this morning. Um, she is uh, a dear soul, a longtime friend of Platt Park, and um, she's going to share a little bit about her journey with faith and work. So let's welcome Connie. No, I was just really excited when Susie
2: asked me to do this because I love my work and um, I've been doing the same thing for over 30 years and I love my work every day and I do believe that our work is um, it's a gift from God it's how it's how we connect to the world and how we serve others and how he gifts us personally is a way that he guides us i never could have planned out my life or my career but i just kind of had to trust on the way so um, in the world's definition you'd call me an economics professor but i don't really have the nerd brain of an economist so god told me practically out loud when i was young no you're going to teach because i want you to have relationships with young people and I want you to guide them and give them grace and serve, and I want you to be me in these colleges. I want you to be my love there, and um, the economics is just a bridge, you know, to get them to listen to you, and so um, thinking about that, I, um, one of these questions, prompt questions was, is it better to work in a, you know, faith-based organization, a Christian community, being a pastor or a missionary or something, or what about out in the world? And I can say that I have worked for Christian colleges and for um, secular schools, and my job has been exactly the same, and that has been to, um, you know, just love on and serve all those students that come my way. Um, Economic necessity made me um, go back to school to get a PhD to become a real professor. And the reason that I'm telling you about this is because that PhD program was the first time I encountered real persecution. And my dissertation advisor, who had my future in his hands, if he says I don't pass, I don't pass. And the pass rate in that program was 25%. So um, this man was important, very important to me. And he told me my problem was I read the Bible too much, and I believed it. And I had to work with him for seven years with this little cloud over my life and not wavering in my faith. Anyhow, God gave me a dream, and God can use all sorts of things to uh, to uh, guide us. And he gave me this funny little dream when I was in my Ph.D. program that somebody would buy me a plane ticket to fly across the ocean and talk and maybe talk about God and stuff well that led me into not just economics but economic development walking with the poor learning about poverty and inequality serving those in other countries who don't have the educational opportunities we have here and I can say that um, he not only allowed me to fly across the ocean many many times to the far corners of the earth really walking with the poor but investing my life in people who are also doing that work, um, people from all backgrounds. And I can honestly say that God has taught me more through my students and through those relationships than I have ever taught them. And um, my prayer every day when I go to class or I get on a plane or whatever is, Lord, transform me. Use this experience, Lord, to make me more like you. So I love my work. Thank you. (laughs)
0: I love these stories so much. I just want to like pass the mic around the room and do this all day. Thank you, Connie, for sharing. And as we prepare now to come to the table in communion, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you see every dear soul gathered in this space right now this morning. And you know the ins and outs of each person's journey with work. You see where there is frustration and where there is satisfaction. You see where we are bored and afraid and passionate and eager and disillusioned. You see all of it. And God, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you might manifest yourself in the important work being done throughout the lives of people in this room. God, you are already at work where we are at work. Would you give us eyes to see where you are? Because our desperate and holy and everyday need is for your presence and awareness of your presence in our work and in our lives. So would you be made manifest there? It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that we pray. Everybody who agreed said, Amen. Amen.